Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the pod. I'm Courtney, I am here with Royce, and together we are the Ace Couple. And this week, we are going to be continuing our trend of thriving off of controversy. Because today, we would like to make the case that the asexual representation in Netflix's sex education is bad, actually. Let's get to it. So, in order to explain why this is such a potentially controversial subject within the asexual community is, uh, in part, the same reason why we decided to watch this show in the first place. Because a lot of aces absolutely love it. Uh, the show itself had no interest to us at first, and in fact, we did not watch any of it until after the second season had aired. However, online, everywhere, popping up on Twitter, Facebook, Reddit, all these little pockets within the ACE community, I was seeing people absolutely raving about how good the ACE representation was in sex education. And so, naturally, we were really really quite curious about this, very interested to see what this was, because Netflix is actually responsible for what is our personal favorite representation of asexuality, which is the show BoJack Horseman. So in my mind, seeing all of these overwhelmingly positive reviews, I was fully hoping that we would have another BoJack Horseman kind of situation on our hands. So I was very, very encouraged, very excited to watch. And I tried to go in blind, as blind as possible, even though I was seeing all these people say, it's so good, it's so great. I, I stopped myself from actually reading what they liked or about the character because I wanted to experience it for myself. So we started at episode one of season one and went all the way through. And at first... I'll be perfectly honest, I thought the the main character, a teenager named Otis, was going to be the asexual character. They definitely leaned heavy on, on that at first. Um, Otis is the son of a sex therapist, and he was originally shown um, at least having an aversion to sex, or it may specifically have been like not rela a relationship in general because he wasn't in a relationship at that point in time, but it was an aversion to masturbating. One of the plot points in season one is Otis sort of figuring himself out, figuring out what is going on with himself and why that is or is not a problem. And Otis is sort of contrasted by uh, being in a very sexual household, having a very sexual best friend, and goes on to start giving advice to many of these students in a very sexual high school. And that's set up to be an, an, an interesting... Um, an interesting dynamic. Like, quite honestly... My mind was blown when I was watching this through the lens of there's going to be a good ace character and the main character is is showing signs of potentially being ace. And I just thought, how cool is this going to be? The, the child of a very open, very sex positive sex therapist is asexual, actually. I thought that was a cool dynamic. I also... I mean, like you said, Royce, Otis goes on to start this, like, sex clinic where he's just giving advice to all of these very sexually charged teenagers and from a variety of sexualities as well. There are gay couples, there are lesbian couples, straight couples, like, you're seeing a wide variety of sexualities they, represented in this high school. They even get into some aspects of kink that are generally not talked about. There's a girl who writes interspecies alien erotica. Yeah, exactly. And, and I mean, kink of that nature doesn't get discussed very openly either. So the show as a whole, very sex positive, very, very diverse in many ways. And the comedy genius, we were thinking, that comes from 
the asexual character in a hypersexual world, but it's actually the ace boy who doesn't even masturbate, has never had sex, is the one who's giving sexual advice to everybody. I thought that could be just absolutely golden, absolutely brilliant. I was on board. But nope, turns out it was childhood trauma that's resolved by the end of season one. It's always childhood trauma, isn't it? (laughs) So... That was quite disappointing, because I believe it was the very last episode of season one. It's like, that was the, that was the big ending. That was the finale. That was the, the climax, if you will. Oh, I hate myself for saying that. <laughs> Forgive me. Was he masturbated? Or I guess they're British, so I guess they say wanking, don't they? So that, that was the overarching, that was the character development of season one. The boy who can't masturbate sets up a sex clinic, gives a bunch of sex advice, realizes he has this sexual hang-up because he saw his father cheating on his mother as a child. Was that what's going on? I think so. And he he gets over that and uh, he learns of the miracle of masturbation. They do make a very big deal out of that first masturbation. They did. I I think, yes, and also I think there's always a extremely sexual scene at the beginning of every episode. Almost every episode, I think. And season two opens with him, like, masturbating so much that it's a joke later on. It it is a montage. It is a masturbation montage. It's, they, they almost take it to the point, if not over the edge, of like a full-on like addiction to masturbating like he begins to do so in like wildly inappropriate places yeah like he's trying to catch up on lost time or something he's got to catch up i mean now that he knows exactly how good masturbating is all these years he could have been doing it (laughs) so that was a letdown but i i thought okay i mean they they do have some very good you know, diverse sexuality representations. That was all of season one, and I did not see any ace representation whatsoever. But, you know, let, let's proceed on to season two, and let's, let's see where this representation is. And as it turns out, there is only one episode that covers asexuality. And, I mean, we'll call it the ace episode, because it truly is only one. It is not a main character, it is not an ongoing plotline, and therein lies the reason I think it is bad representation, actually. So, before I even explain the plot of this episode, I I, I want to reiterate exactly how little this ace representation mattered in the grand scheme of things. If you were to Google, and the the episode is uh, season two, episode four. When I Google season two, episode four, and you get the sort of long plot overview versus the short plot overview, there is is nary a mention of asexuality. Um, On Netflix, it says, Otis wants to go all the way. But Otis is on edge. Maeve and Jean need their space. Jackson has performance worries. And star-crossed lovers reconnect. Which, that would mean that uh, Florence coming to understand her asexuality is probably an E or F plot. It is absolutely an E or F plot. There are a lot of characters. So Florence is the asexual character. She is a very minor side character. There are multiple main characters that have regular plot lines. And even even if you go to the the Wikipedia breakdown of all of the episodes, you you don't even hear Florence's name. She is so irrelevant to the actual plot. And therein lies the issue. Florence, as a character, is introduced because she is an actress in the school play. The school is doing Romeo and Juliet, and she gets the role of Juliet. The role of Romeo is played by a character who was already pre-established, so that was sort of how they tied in this new character of Florence, who is not at all a character in the first season. So they go to play practice, and 
Actually, it was the girl you already mentioned, Rice, the girl who writes the alien erotica, has like a directing role in this play. So Romeo and Juliet are practicing, having their scene. And Lily, so yes, Lily is uh, the the alien girl. (laughs) She cuts them off and says, hey, this whole play is about horny teenagers who want to have sex. And I just don't believe that you want to have sex with him. (laughs) So very sexually charged character, that. And as they're leaving play practice, you know, some of... uh, some of Florence's friends are saying, like, yeah, you, you should just have sex with, with why not the guy playing Romeo? And she says, oh, he's not my type. And since we've never encountered this character before and know nothing about her backstory, they need to work really hard to try to fill in the gaps. So the they do that in a bit of forced dialogue. So one of the friends, who is also, as far as I remember, nameless, also doesn't have their own plot, just says, oh, Florence, nobody's ever your type. So that's the setup for the asexuality arc. So in feeling like she's a bit of an outsider, kind of the odd one out here, Florence enlists the help of Otis at his little underground sex clinic and goes to him and says, I don't want to have sex. And I'm I'm in this play, Romeo and Juliet. I thought this play was supposed to be about love, but apparently it's supposed to be about sex. And she mentions, you know, sometimes I feel like I should just have sex just so I'm not the weird one so I can, you know, experience it and... Otis's advice is, again, this this is the child of a sex therapist, so a lot of his information is very secondhand. He is a teenager, he is young, he is naive, he does not have a lot of sexual experience himself. He just learned how to masturbate, <laughs> and he is now addicted to masturbation. So definitely not the one who should be giving out sex advice. And... He clearly doesn't pick up on what she's getting at because he takes this as, oh, well, yeah, it, it's okay to not want to have sex. You'll, you'll want to have sex when you meet the right person, which is definitely a thing that real-life asexual people hear over and over again. So I do think that was... That was the right thing to say if they're going to do this juxtaposition of here's the bad way to handle asexuality, only to present the good later. So I I have no issue with that in and of itself. She leaves kind of like, yeah, okay, thanks. Not not very jazzed about the conversation that just happened. So that's t- that's the second time Florence is on screen. I think, is it four times total in the whole episode? In that episode, I think so. In that episode, she's on screen four times total, and those are the first two. The third time is, like, very, very brief. It is just sitting in the library with her other play friends, and they're, like, again, just saying, like, yeah, go have sex with that guy. He has sex with a lot of people. It goes right from that scene on to the next one. So maybe it's only three times total she's on screen. And... Feeling like she hasn't been heard, she goes to see Jean, who is the actual sex therapist, Otis's mom, who has recently started actually counseling kids at the school. And she just, like, busts in the door. You really get this feeling that she is at her wit's end. She doesn't know what to do or where to turn. And so that also is sort of making you try to fill in gaps in your brain because you see this only once or twice that people are saying, yeah, you should just have sex. So her reaction is very, very aggressive. And she sort of says, you know, everybody is just talking about sex all the time, which as an ace person, I can relate to. We do live in a very, very sexualized society. And... Sometimes sometimes I do feel like certain social circles, certain shows just focus sex a little too much, and it can get frustrating at times uh, when you don't relate to that. But they, they don't show her really experiencing this pattern over and over. So again, they have to force it in with the dialogue. And she just busts in and says, I don't want to have sex. 
And, you know, very, very cool, calm, collected Gene says, okay, starts, starts to go down maybe the same path that Otis did by saying, you know, that's a, that's a valid decision to make. And, and she cuts her off and says, no, it's not a decision. I just, I don't want it ever. Not only just now, but ever. And thus begins the ace scene, the ace scene TM. Of the Ace episode, because this is what it is all about. This, like, two minutes of screen time is what all this is about. And I'm not even going to criticize the content of this scene very much, because uh, I do want to explain why I think it resonated with so many asexual people. But Gene, the sex therapist, goes on to say, well, how do you feel when you think about sex? And Florence explains, well, I, ju- I don't have any attachment to it. I-, I just don't care. I feel like I'm at this this feast with all of the food I could ever want, but I'm not hungry. Which I, I think is a-, a very valid way. I think a lot of ace people can identify with that way of thinking. And the sex therapist says, do you know what asexuality is? And she goes on to define it. And the definition is the very... I think what she specifically says, correct me if I'm misremembering, I think she says asexuality is not experiencing sexual attraction to any sex or gender. I think was the the textbook definition that she presented here. And during the course of this conversation, Florence says, I feel like I'm broken. And that right there is the word. That is what you hear over and over again in the ace experience. You will have people say, I feel broken, or until I knew what asexuality was, I felt broken because I couldn't identify with these sexual feelings that seemingly everyone else in the world has. So I think that word was very, very key to getting this to resonate with the ace community. And that's when the in my opinion, the best line of this entire episode hits because it's incredibly validating for ace people, but it's also just a true statement that I think even even allosexual people <laughs> should really take to heart, where the sex therapist says, sex does not make you whole, so how could you ever be broken? And that is very, very powerful, and that is very, very good. But in a show like Sex Education, it was very, very brief. Yeah, the issue here was that this character's entire story took up about five minutes in a 50-some minute episode, which I believe is less time on screen than we have spent talking about this particular episode right here. It is literally five minutes... In the whole episode, and that that is the play practice scene, that is the library scene, that is talking with Otis, that is talking to his mom, all just under five minutes long. So that is how little screen time asexuality got. And this show has, throughout its run, has given characters entire episodes to tell their backstories and work through their problems, and a lot of those characters, even after their episodes, still are a part of the main cast, or they have other things that uh, become a main plot of a season or a part of a season. Season 3 introduces a new character who is non-binary, and their struggle with a very strict conservative leader of the school who is appointed um, is a through plot for the entire season, versus five minutes in this episode with a well-articulated monologue that is spoken more to the camera than to the person in the story. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. I mean, speaking of season three, because we watched it, (laughs) it, it, it dropped recently. Florence does not exist in season three. There are so many episodes in season three where the entire school is in an auditorium at an assembly and she's not even an extra in the background and she's very recognizable i mean she has this beret she's normally she's she's dressed in like a a bright kind of yellow color you know she's the artsy girl so you you'd see her somewhere you would think 
but no, she's just, she's gone. She has absolutely disappeared. So when, when, like Royce said, they, they introduce a new non-binary character who is not a part of the cast for the first two seasons, they take this character and they present a variety of nuance to the NB experience. You see the uh, the social and political struggles of, you know, being at a school with a very binary mindset, with school uniform issues, with, you know, the, the bathroom, the changing room dilemmas, and... And after this school had gotten a, um, they started to implement something more akin to uh, abstinence-only sex education. And they did the whole, you know, boys over here, girls over here. So you have this envy now who you see how this affects them. You see them enter into a relationship that seems very good and very healthy at first. You see how they set boundaries within the relationship. Um, there, there's even a second non-binary character and they have a discussion about healthy chest binding practices. So you get a much fuller, richer experience with all other sexualities and gender representations in this show, whereas asexuality gets five minutes, literally. And I just can't help but think how how cool it would have been if they did actually have Otis be the asexual character. I am thinking of so much humor that was missed, and even some interpersonal relationship issues that were missed because could you imagine say say just for just for the sake of argument they made Otis asexual from the get-go and the first season he's really struggling with that he's the one who feels like something is weird and wrong and broken with him and he lives in a very you know sexually open household with a lot of open discussion and so his mom is consistently like should we talk about this? Like, you can talk to me about sex and we can have these conversations. Imagine being asexual and that's the reason why he's afraid to talk to his mom for for the opposite reason that the other teenagers don't want to talk to their mom. That could be so interesting. That could be a really neat plot point. Not only for aces, but for anyone else watching. That could just be really creative script writing. And and that could have been a a moment for his mom to still have this very teachable moment, but it could have theoretically been with her son. And that could have strengthened, you know, their mother-son bond. Because, um, you know, he's a teenager. He has he has some rebellious rebelliousness in him he's got he butts head with heads with his mother all the time as as many teenagers are wont to do and i feel like there's just so much more that could have been done that would have been really really interesting if we take that in mind and look at what actually did happen with otis throughout the season otis being written asexual would have given us a lot of would have given us a lot of insight into navigating an ace-allo relationship or relationships as well. That's another thing with the the ace relationships. I mean, obviously, you and I are an ace couple. Uh, we are both asexual. We've been married over seven years. And as far as representation, we are quite a rarity. There are not a lot of visible ace couples in media or... In, in in real life online, there are just not a lot of us that you can find and learn from. But some asexual people do have relationships with aloes. And depending on where people fall in the ace spectrum, depending on individual libidos, there are a lot of potential issues that can arise from an ace relationship, whether it be with another ace, whether it be with an aloe. And the ace experience in real life is so rich and diverse that they could have had 
many different angles they could take it. And even with Florence, there was still a missed opportunity there. Even if they did everything exactly the same for this episode, Florence, during that conversation with the sex therapist, says, I still want to fall in love. And of course, Jean says, well, yeah, that's okay. Some people just don't like the sex bit, but still want a relationship. And she she does sort of cram in as many little one-note details about the A spectrum as possible, which I do want to touch on that a little more here in a moment. But she's like, yeah, yeah, some people want relationships. Some people don't want relationships. Some people don't want the sex bit. And so she's kind of very, very briefly trying to touch on all of the little corners of the A spectrum without, of course, getting into much detail and without really covering all of it. It's just sort of the very basics. And since Florence did say, I still want to fall in love, show us that. Show us what that means for her in this really hypersexual school. Does she actually start dating one? And does the fact that she doesn't want sex cause any emotional concern? It would... I'd, I'd rather they didn't because I, I don't like the narrative of, like, anything that could be construed as the asexuality is the problem in the relationship because the asexuality is never the issue in the relationship. It's communication, it's boundaries, it's setting expectations. And so you could even take it the other way and and give her a partner who might be aloe, but maybe they're absolutely cool with not having sex because they just love her as a person. Like, show us how they navigate that. Show us anything. (laughs) Show us the fact that she is turning down everyone who is sexually attracted to her because she's not comfortable with them. And show us the fact that she's frustrated that she can't find any other aces because she wants to date someone who's ace. There are endless possibilities that they could take with that. But... They don't. They really just end on the note of, you know, Florence bumps into uh, Otis in the hallway and Otis says, hey, h- how are you doing? And she's like, I am fantastic. She is just clearly on cloud nine. She just came out from talking to Otis's mom. And she said, yeah, Otis, I'm great. Not because of you. Y- your advice was crap, but your mom is great. <laughs> and by the way, I want a refund. <laughs> and then she just walks away happily and fades into obscurity. The the end of that season, you actually see this play happen, this Romeo and Juliet play, which actually turns more into um, an alien sexual fantasy than anything, because because Lily's helping direct it, so that's that's what ends up happening there. And there there's one scene I recall where um where Florence vouches for Jean, the sex therapist, and says, yeah, she she really helped me. She is an asset to this school, but she doesn't get any deeper than that. We don't get to see how she navigates her newfound asexuality at all. And so none of this is to say that the entire show is horrible. It's it's not. And it has some good moments. It's still definitely not my favorite because there are a lot of sex scenes. There is a lot of just bad relationshiping. <laughs> That's another aspect of it. They talk so much about sex, but not even the sex therapist knows how to communicate well <laughs> or have a particularly healthy relationship from the emotional side of things. And to the egregious amounts of sex in the show, it's it's more that there are a lot of scenes that seem to be there not for any character development, not for any plot purpose, not even for decent comedy. It's just simple fan service, and we just happen to not be the fans they were writing for. The egregious amount of sex. <laughs> this is an outrage. There's too much sex in the sex show. Um... It is, it is. It's it's also an education show. It's in the title. (laughs) It is an education show. (laughs) The sex is egregious. The education is sometimes good, but they also need to do better. (laughs) Just do better about the asexuality. It's, it really all just comes back to me for how 
differently this character and this sexuality was treated as opposed to all of the other experiences. Because when you see it in the grand scheme of the full show, it's really a bit tokenizing. It's like, well, we we have gay men, we have lesbian women, we have someone who came out as pansexual, we have bi characters, we're navigating teenage relationships, middle-age relationships, and we're getting all of these diverse experiences. Like, who are we missing? Who do we still need to just shoehorn in there a little bit? And I love to see it. I'm glad they made a bit of an effort, but I want them to give us a character with some depth. Some depth. Just any, any depth. What do we know about Florence? We know she's asexual. We know she is Juliet in the school play. She believes that she is the Scottish Meryl Streep. She did say that, didn't she? <laughs> she, I'm like Meryl Streep, only younger and Scottish. <laughs> so we, we know she fancies herself a young Scottish Meryl Streep, and that's it. That, 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 that's, that's the extent of that character. That is a two-dimensional character if I've ever seen one. And so many of the other characters are just so lush and fleshed out, and you get to see such a wide variety of their experience. I mean, season three, you also, you see one of the main characters start to navigate a relationship with a boy who is a quadriplegic in a wheelchair. And that was something I was very, very glad to see because there is not a lot of, you know, representation or education about the sex lives of disabled people. So I thought that scene was great, but that was done much better than the ace character also because that character was introduced in season two, I think. So he's been around for a while. You see where this character is introduced. You see him start to develop a relationship with the character. Um, you see the good sides and the bad sides of him. You know, he's a little bit of a jerk at one point. <laughs> and so you see him as a whole person before they even enter into a relationship and have this sex scene and have this conversation about... It's not just for disabled people. It should be for everybody. Like, how do we have sex? What do you like? What do you not like? What do you feel? Like, that should just be not like, oh, look at the person in the wheelchair and say, oh, can you have sex is kind of the trope. Like, everyone everyone wants to know, can you have sex if you're in a wheelchair? Yes, of course you can, if you want to. <laughs> so they they show you know, some good communication in that moment. And that's good representation, but that's a real character that we see multiple sides to. And I know that as the invisible orientation, as asexuality is often called, there are a lot of people out there who do not know what it means. So I can fully sympathize with the fact that any writer entering into... <laughs> a story with asexuality has to find a way to define it for the audience. Narratively speaking, in dialogue, you have to define it still at that point, because that's where we are as a society. But in the age of fighting for good, proper representation, this just really shows how woefully behind the times we are for, for asexuality rep, because... Can you imagine, in the year 2020, there's a show about sex education and sexually active teenagers, and every single couple is straight. Every straight couple is having sex, they're navigating these new sexual relationships. But then there's one episode where for a total of five minutes... One-tenth of the runtime of that singular episode in season two, there is one gay boy, and he feels like he doesn't belong in this world, he doesn't know anyone else like him, he, he feels like there might be something wrong with him, and he sees a sex therapist who says, some people are gay, and that is okay. 
everyone in the LGBT community would collectively flip their lids. Are you kidding me? <laughs> like, we are so far past that for, for queer representation in general. And <laughs> obviously, this show does better about gay representation. Otis's best friend is gay. And right from the get-go, he's... There, there are gay characters who are figuring themselves out. There are characters that we are introduced as you are, you know, out and proud. You sort of see both sides of that in this show, which is good. They should show that, absolutely. But just just try, try flipping out. <laughs> so th this is what I always like to explain to allos who maybe don't necessarily know much about asexuality. They might not know how to talk about it. They might not know the right questions to ask. I always say just general rule of thumb, whatever you're about to say or think or wonder about, just insert any other sexuality. And if it feels wrong <laughs> when you substitute asexual for homosexual, for example, if it feels a little wrong and weird and off, it probably is a little weird and wrong and off. Because that, that's the whole point, is that asexuality is an orientation. So I will never begrudge any, any asexual person who saw that scene and felt validated. Because the, the scene was pretty well done if, in isolation. And, I mean, they put on this really emotional music in the background as the sex therapist was talking, so I'm sure that, uh, you know, tugged at a few subconscious heartstrings. Goodness knows. Royce knows better than anyone. I am a crybaby. I cry a lot during shows, movies, you know, emotional video games. I, I am a crier. I am, I am an out and proud crier. So I did not cry during this scene personally. But I heard that music, and I was like, oh, that's the cry music. They're, they're trying to <laughs> elicit an emotional response with this. And to have the word broken, I feel broken. And to have the sex therapist say, you could never be broken for not wanting sex. That is, I think, the validation that every young or, or newly found asexual wants to hear. So we see that scene and most people in our community are going to feel so heard, so nice, so warm and fuzzy that of course we're going to latch on and say, this is great because it made me feel really good. But the, the sad fact of the matter is the aloes didn't feel that good. I would be surprised if any aloe person watching that <laughs> came close to feeling that. And I, I know that if it's not your experience, you're not going to feel the same level of empathy. But the aloes paid so little attention to that storyline that it is not even mentioned in any of the episode descriptions or recaps. It is so far removed from the plot that... I don't think something like this is going to have a massive social impact the way I think some other shows might or the way it could if they did it better because we see it and we feel good, but it was not a character that is going to be widely beloved. It's not a character that anyone outside of our community is going to be able to relate to and so it, it's just kind of that. It's a, it's almost a little fan service -y. It's like, it's almost as if the writers of the show felt guilty for not making Otis asexual. <laughs> and they thought, hmm, that's, that's a bit of a missed opportunity. I bet we, we could have done some good representation if we did that. But we didn't. Here is a peace offering. <laughs> I give you five minutes of a side character who is asexual. Sorry about not doing that with the main character. <laughs> so, and I, I'm, I'm just being silly here. I highly doubt any writers actually heard that or said that. <laughs> but that's just kind of how it feels. It's like a peace offering. It's a token. It's a, it's a gesture, but it's not real work. They didn't actually put in the time and the dialogue to make this a long-term meaningful thing. And that that's my main issue with it, because 
if when when I tried searching for other people's responses to this, I would search, you know, sex education, asexuality episode. You start to see some articles that say this is groundbreaking. I see that word over and over. This is groundbreaking representation. I don't think five minutes out of a single show can be groundbreaking because that's not what representation is. Representation is an active, ongoing process. And it, it is not as if the actor playing Florence was an asexual actress either. I, I did try looking that up because I think that's important. We are at a point in society where if a straight man plays a gay man, we say, hey, wait a minute, why didn't you just hire a gay man? <laughs> but I, truth be told, could not find very much about the actress playing Florence, but... I did see some quotes taken out of a radio interview that she did, and she said something along the lines of, you know, playing this character really opened my eyes to the wide spectrum of sexuality, so it almost sounded like she was hinting at the fact that maybe she didn't know about asexuality before taking this role. Or maybe she didn't know the things that were said in Jean's monologue about... You know, some people want romance, some people don't. Some people don't want sex, and there's just something about that, because if, if they were really, really trying to do good representation, they could have found an asexual actress to do that part. They absolutely could have. But I think that just goes to show how starved our community is for good representation, because... We really do not have very much. It is so little. It's few and it's far between. And there's a lot of bad representation for asexuality out there also. So when we see something like this, we do chalk it up as, as a huge win for, for the entire community. But I, maybe I'm just too cynical. I, I think we need more. <laughs> I, I think we aces are the only ones who cared. I don't think the message registered the way it needed to to outsiders to the community because they just they need more and they need to actually connect with the character on a different level in order to care. Plus like there's a lot of of <laughs> relatability that they could have just leaned into a little more which would not only resonate with aces but um could also just be really good comedic moments. Um I mean, Florence says, I, I thought Romeo and Juliet was about love, but turns out it's about sex? What? <laughs> this is news to me. They could have had so many more moments like that. Just, if you're an ace person living in an aloe world, sometimes it seems like the aloes can make anything about sex. They can make anything about sex, and sex is everywhere, and it's all around you, and sometimes you just say, like, wait, that's a sex thing, too? That seems absurd. It, it could have been very good. It could have been very relatable in that sense, too. The, the show did end up getting really absurd, too. I feel like they're, they're getting low on actual, like, meaningful relationship ideas at this point, because third season was... Third, third season had a couple of good things going on. The main one that I, the main ones that I remember were the introduction of non-binary characters and Eric, who is a prominent character from the very beginning, also has a plot line where he goes to his extended family's home in Nigeria and has to reason with going from being an out and proud gay man to being in an environment where that is criminalized. And both of those things I thought were interesting additions, but aside from that, they stepped away from having most of the conflict in the series being within social relationships and pulling in a prominent singular antagonist who was the villain of the series, or the season, the villain of the season. And because of that, I think they toned down a lot of the important plot points and stepped back into more simple situations. Yeah, and even the villain of the third season gets more depth than the Ace character ever had because, like, she's horrible and she's doing detrimental things to the school. She's the one who enacts, you know, 
a, a gendered dress code and she's the one who's implementing abstinence only sex education and so she she is definitively the villain but like you also see her trying to get pregnant through IVF and it's like where was that depth when it came to the asexual character so missed opportunities absolutely but it it does just go go really over the top with some of the the sex stuff because the the school gets like a reputation for being the sex school and all of the students are like yeah we are the sex school we have a wall of penises in the back of the school and we're going to protest that being painted over and they really make like big grand elaborate shows of being like yes we are the sex school we all have sex we have <laughs> we have vagina cupcakes and didn't they also make a wall of vulvas in addition to the wall of penises I, I, I'm sure they so probably I, did. <laughs> it, it's probably telling that the most recent episode that we watched is the one that we have the fewest memories of. <laughs> yes, truthfully. So the, this, uh, the villain of the third season does this very like public shaming moment with a few of the kids where she makes them wear signs on their chest all day. And it's it's very like... Instagram, like, dog shaming. <laughs> like, when people put the, oh, I, I chewed up the sofa, <laughs> like, shaming signs. Uh, but she's doing it for human teenagers. Not a good look. And <laughs> the students all rebel by all of them putting on a sign near, near the end. Big, they're all in an auditorium. They're all wearing these signs for things that they're in embarrassed of or ashamed of or secrets and there is one moment one one moment which of course the ace is caught again i i if you are an aloe out there and you caught this please tell me please prove me wrong <laughs> please prove me wrong that this is getting out to anyone other than the ace community because i would love a reason to be a little less cynical today a character named steve who isn't a main character, but he's been present probably since the first season. I think he's kind of always been there, even though sometimes it's a little bit in the background. And Steve is wearing a sign, cardboard sign on his chest that says, I think I'm demisexual. <gasps> of course, he doesn't say that to anybody. There's no conversation about that. There's no defining of what demisexuality is. <laughs> so... I sincerely hope that if they have another season of this show, that Steve gets to be front and center reconciling his demisexuality. He also recently went through a breakup, so I want to know about that. Did you know, or did you suspect, since he said I think, did you suspect you were demisexual during this relationship? Or was this breakup part of what had you reflecting on you know, what you really want out of a relationship. How did he start to think about this? And now that he at least suspects it enough to put it on a sign and wear it on his chest, how is he going to navigate relationships going forward? Um, is he going to have any relationships going forward? Like, please, please give me the depth. It would be fantastic if they could cast a new character who is also on the asexual spectrum and they can get with Steve. And I want to see all of the ins and outs about how they navigate that relationship. To me, that is the only way that they can uh, make it up to us. That is the only forgivable thing that they can do in my eyes right now. <laughs> and since um, we, we talked about this quite a bit in our first episode, <laughs> um, if you are new to this community, you, you may need to bust out the pocket dictionaries because there are a lot of terms that we in the ACE community use all the time, we're familiar with. Demisexuality, I think, is one of those. Of course, we're getting a, a little more education out there about demisexuality, but there are still a lot of people who don't know what that means. So there could be aloes who did see that sign, but just went right over their heads. That's very possible. They didn't have a defining moment. And demisexuality is a part of the 
ace umbrella. It is part of the asexual spectrum, but it just means that your sexual attraction to someone is conditional. And most demisexual people will say, I need to develop a strong emotional connection with someone before I can experience sexual attraction. So they aren't traversing the world just saying, you know, I am sexually attracted to one gender or two genders or multiple genders. They're saying, you know, if I connect with a person, I might be able to be sexually attracted to that person specifically. And some of them are oriented, some of them are not. So I would love for them to define and explore everything that that side of the spectrum has to offer. But until they do, I'm, I'm just going to be really cynical about it. This is my challenge to the writers of sex education who are obviously listening to this right now. Here's my challenge to you. If you make a season four, I want you to make me cry. I cry quite easily. And I did not cry during the Ace episode. I am horribly disappointed. Your new challenge is to make Courtney cry. You, you have your assignment. You know what you need to do. Go forth. Hire an Ace actor to be in a relationship with Steve, who fully comes out as Demi. Please. Thank you. I am available. I have a little bit of acting experience. It doesn't have to be me. It can be anyone on the Ace spectrum. Just someone, please. What do you think, Rice? Do you want to throw your hat in the ring for that job? <laughs> for those of you who couldn't see that because we're a podcast, not a video, Rice is uh, pretty emphatically uh, shaking the head no. <laughs> On that note, I think we're going to go ahead and wrap it up for today. This is, of course, one example of representation that I didn't think was too great. If you disagreed with anything we said, if you agreed with us, feel free to tweet at us. We have a tweeter now, at the Ace Couple on Twitter. Um, if you have any questions you'd like to hear addressed on an upcoming episode, if you have any topic suggestions, uh, feel free to let us know over there. If you're listening to us on Apple, please give us a, a fantastic rating. If you're listening to us on YouTube, please subscribe to the channel. Otherwise, we will talk at you all next time.